Welcome to That Movie Was, a movie discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined by my co-host, Michael. I'm the other co-host. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> the co-host. Every episode, we pick a movie to watch, then we discuss it. And this episode, we picked The Fifth Element, released in 1997. Yep, yep. We're going with another Luc Besson film. As uh, To be funny, like we didn't even realize it was a Luc Besson-directed <laughs> movie when we first chose this. But it's funny because we also just did... Um, Leon, the uh, professional? The professional, yeah, Leon, exactly. So uh, good on us for repeating directors here. Yeah, that was kind of uh, – <laughs> I, I didn't even realize until um, the opening title card came up and it was like written and directed by Luke Passan. I was like, God, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I just kind of wanted to watch this movie again because it had been probably over a decade since I first watched it. I know. I really, it's just funny I, to see how young uh, that Bruce Willis is in this movie with his like blonde hair and everything like that. <laughs> young blood blue Bruce in the movie still has hair. You know, there, there's <laughs> pre hair Bruce Willis and you know bald Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how like I categorize his movies, like the earlier diehards versus the later diehards, where he's just completely bald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, they're actually coming out with another diehard movie. Oh like, no, I didn't realize that. Yeah, Bruce Willis is like reprising his role again with something else. I think it's coming out next year. You might have to quote me on that. But yeah. man, that, okay, he's not that old. He's not that old. But like for Bruce Willis to be doing diehard things again, <laughs> I feel like he's going to like throw out his back or something like that. Well, I saw something that was like kind of made me sad, but it, it makes more sense now that you said that a new diehard's coming out. You know, there's like a battery brand for cars named Die Hard Batteries. Yeah, yeah. Well, they got I, Bruce Willis to do commercials, like you know, like for the Die really? Hard battery brand. And I was like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, a, is this what you're at the point of doing, Bruce Willis? You know, like. <laughs> this and you know red three or whatever that oh <laughs> yeah franchises that he does exactly just speaking of for a battery company i would not name my battery die hard like <laughs> it's like don't you want your batteries to live long and not like be, go out <laughs> at the worst possible time <laughs> just like oh man who would have thought my die hard battery would go out right during this thunderstorm yeah <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, it it died hard, I guess. It, you know that it's they're they're not mistaken the customer. You know, don't miss them. <laughs> no, at least they're up front. So if the guy comes back and starts complaining, he's like, "Look, man, you you saw when he bought the title. You know exactly what it is." <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we should get to the plot rather than improv. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as you said before, this movie is uh, both directed and written by Luke Besson same writer and director who did um, Leon the Professional. And so we did talk about uh, him, some of his earlier work, and um, a few different things when we did do that episode. So I don't feel like we need to retread that ground. I'd rather talk about the new stars in this movie. Yeah, sure. I'm down with that, too. I mean, there's a lot of people here that we've never done a movie on, and we've already kind of been touching on Bruce Willis a little bit. 
And we know that Gary Oldman's back from his roles. It seems like him and Lupuson playing a few films together, actually. But yeah, they must have a good, you know, uh, director actor relationship because, right, Gary Oldman brought back as the villain in this movie. And, you know, he he's menacing in a different way than he was in Leon the Professional. You know, he, he was just crazy. a psychopath in Leon the Professional. Here, he actually seems like a guy who, like, plans yeah he, he seems uh, well the, the thing is he's it's crazy because he's it seems like his, his driving goal is money but right. based off of the fact that his communication is with a glowing planet that's coming to destroy the world <laughs> what does money have to do with anything anymore and also the planet itself says money is no object. So like, I, this planet is probably not going to give a fuck about the amount of money that you have once it takes over. I mean, who knows, man? Maybe planets have like infinite bank accounts, you know, with just, uh, you know, as much money as they can need. But when, when you t- a planet tells you not worry about the money, uh, <laughs> maybe you should think of your, uh, your doings with this guy. I do want to see how the planet intended to give Gary Oldman the money. <laughs> maybe he, maybe it was it was going to be a sick joke where he was going to give him the money and then destroy the world. Just like, hey, you you reached your goal, but it's gone now. It's yeah, destroyed. but what, I mean, does it just like materialize money out of the core of the planet or something and shoot it at Gary Oldman? Like, it <laughs> doesn't have a hand to give Gary Oldman a briefcase of money. No, it, it's it's definitely just a sphere. You know, they don't they don't come with arms. So who knows? <laughs> so um, leading this movie, uh, we have Bruce Willis as the leading man. Um, this, I think, you know, is the first time that he's been in a Luc Besson film. I actually think this was only maybe Luc Besson's third or fourth movie. Um, okay, fifth. It looks like here. If I'm the fifth element, right? The fifth, fifth element. Move, yeah, there fifth we go. Move, the fifth element, you know. <laughs> he was really, uh, you know, just had to work in that five somewhere. Which, by the way, this has the the most 1997 tagline um, for a movie. Uh, it must be found, but the S and must is a five. <laughs> it's like five gum. You're chewing. You're chewing five gum. <laughs> it's just, it's just, we get it. Number five. We're, we got it. That's it's the just movie. like that's the movie. It's the fifth five. It's just 1997 with like you know. Oh yeah, we're gonna use the characters on the keyboard and <laughs> number of characters in the words. <laughs> so just to make sure that people really get the point. Yeah. Just yeah. reads like a aim screen name. <laughs> So I'm, I guess, okay, I'm looking at like IMDb right now and Rotten Tomatoes and they're giving this like a relatively good score. I enjoyed the movie myself. Um, I kind of want to know the reasoning behind maybe what Bruce Willis was thinking when he brought up the film. Cause he, at this point he's already done Die Hard and Pulp right. Fiction. And uh, so he's already got some, you know, like recognition. I'm sure those movies were fantastic when they came out. So um um, but the, neither of those are like sci-fi films. So you know, I mean, other than like that, and maybe um, when I'm thinking about it, I'm just thinking of like the Sixth Sense, and and Armageddon and Armageddon. But those come on; those come out later. Those then later in the in the years. But 
I haven't seen him unless you can think of any sci-fi films that he's done prior to the fifth element, mm-hmm. or maybe this was just like piqued his curiosity or whatever. Yeah. There's only one I can think of and uh, it's 12 monkeys. And that is a movie that involves a lot of um, time travel in it. So it's not strictly just, you know, future sci-fi but it's definitely like a sci-fi movie. I think, honestly, he probably just wanted to uh, start to differentiate himself as far as the roles that he picked. You know, you, you said that, you know, obviously he had done... Um, Die Hard think, and Pulp Fiction. Well, right. And yeah, like Die Hard <clears throat> 1 and 2. I don't know if Die Hard 3 was before this or after this, but um, probably right around the same time, like late mm. 90s. But right, yeah. with his picks like... Um, this 12 monkeys and then uh like you said armageddon and um uh what was the last one that we were just talking about oh the sixth sense yeah the I, sixth I think sense. those are much less like kind of action oriented i mean this movie was definitely action oriented but it's in a different way than die hard is you know what i oh, mean I know. die hard yeah, is like no, the action doesn't serious Right. Other than like the police car chase, there really isn't no action until already we're we're past like the two thirds point of the film. Like what's left, there was less than like forty five minutes left in the film before we actually got, they were on like the ship and they were having the mm-hmm. firefight and everything like that. Other than that, though, it was just like the police chase was the action action part. Right. So uh, you probably just didn't want to get lumped into the same kind of like. Only action yeah. movie role that like uh, increasing his repertoire. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's oh man, we've done so many Arnold Schwarzenegger and Stallone movies that I feel like Bruce Willis just like in in its way fits neatly in the package. You know, yeah, just, we have. <laughs> we're, we just got past movies man we're, we're definitely fitting into a certain mold it's yeah we got a, a <laughs> we got a pattern going yeah maybe we need to do a uh john claude van damme movie or something like that next <laughs> yeah some <laughs> some really some... complete complete the collection yeah um mentionable notices that i saw myself um first off they had like a real opera singer come on to do the opera scene with the alien uh yeah. her name was inva mula she is an albanian soprano opera singer and I'm, obviously that was one of my favorite parts of the movie until they turned it like hip-hoppy like that euro pop funk <laughs> with the fight scene that lilu was doing with the aliens like don't get me wrong. That was like a nice change of pace for the 1997. Like maybe that's like that Euro pop that they really liked. But <laughs> at the same time, I was like, you took beautiful opera music and turned it to like alien hip hop, I guess, because, you know, it's the 23rd century. But it was definitely an interesting choice. It was a choice. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a choice and <laughs> they lived sure. with it. And hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But um i also noticed and i don't know if you did either tommy lister jr who plays the president he's also in one of my favorite ice cube movies friday he's like the neighborhood bully and oh, i didn't t- make that connection yeah 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 i mean uh, he always plays these secondary characters i'm trying to think of a couple of other movies where i might have seen him um I don't think I can't think of anything right now. Thought my, oh, he wasn't little Nikki. I had to look it up and with Adam Sandler, but yeah, I remember uh, that. Where Adam Sandler's the devil's son. 
Exactly, exactly. But it was just it was kind of cool to see him play like a presidential role. Like even though it was a secondary character, he wasn't being like the neighborhood bully or whatever like that from Friday. And then um like we were mentioning a little bit earlier, Chris Tucker is in this movie and uh I I'll, t- I'll tell you this guys, I don't think Chris Tucker had like a very pivotal role in this movie other than like I think me and Matt were saying comic relief. But he gets carried, in my opinion, longer than maybe he needs to be for the remainder of the film. Even though he is funny, and that's kind of what the movie was going for. Like, this is a sci-fi film, but there was definitely some... It's just like a not not seriousness to it. Yeah, it is interesting because, I like, first off, I want to say Chris Tucker, I think, did a great job in the role. Like, you know... he was supposed to be comic relief and I think he hit it out of the park. Like, yeah, he did. Um, and this is the only other like movie I can think of him in other than the rush hour franchise. Like I'm sure he's done other things since, but rush hour and this are the only two that come to mind for me. Um, and then like it, what, what is kind of interesting is that, I mean, he doesn't really come in as a character until maybe like the halfway point. Um, yeah but after that he's never not on you know screen again basically i mean he is he's always you can count like you know like every three minutes it's gonna show him and what he's doing <laughs> like that, you know. that is true they, they, the camera loved him like even during the firefight scenes like i think chris tucker got more camera time than even bruce willis did like he's Bruce Willis is hiding behind the bar, talk, trying to get the deaf guy to pass him a gun, and every two seconds it just comes back to Chris Tucker and he's <laughs> and his reactions. I, I, the funniest part about this since it's 1997 is that radio still had an impact. What seems like with like the media and for most listeners out there. So even in the 23rd century, like Chris Tucker is a radio DJ, and he's just like. I think that's hilarious just to think here we are in 2021 and like radio is honestly like a a dying industry, but here we are. It's like 23rd century. Everyone in the galaxy is listening to Ruby road. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of my favorite things about like future set sci-fi movies, especially ones that were, you know, created back in like the eighties or the nineties. Like this one is just seeing, what they got you know potentially right and what they got potentially wrong but i always love seeing what like a set designer envisions for the future you know like you look at like flying cars and stuff like that it's like yeah you know yeah sure by the 23rd century we could you know probably have flying cars but then they also still have like phones with dial pads on them and like <laughs> screens that look like CRT televisions rather than like flat screen or, you know, like touch interactive television, all of it's like, and it's like, okay, well, they weren't that imaginative, but some of these things are very cool. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Oh yeah. If there's one thing that this movie did correctly, uh, I think it was two things. It was the special effects that they did and the costume design. Oh yeah. There was, there was tons of moments where uh, just thinking that this is, I mean, this movie is whoa, how many years old? 24 years now, almost, almost the 25th anniversary of this movie. That's right. And uh, 
man, it's just I, I loved watching. There wasn't anything that came out where I was thinking this is like this. Uh, I I couldn't I couldn't imagine it, or it was like I've considered it like phony or anything like that. No, definitely. I, mean, I thought all of the alien races looked really good. I mean, as far mm-hmm. as like a fit for this movie, like mm-hmm. you know, if they were trying to do the same alien races, but it was in like the next star Wars movie or something like that. I'd be like, Oh, these look kind of bad. But like for this movie, I actually thought that, you know, they the fit was really good. Um, and also, I mean, you know, the budget, it did have a $90 million budget, which is pretty big, especially for 1997. And especially for, I mean, Luke Besson, you know, he had had a success with Leon the professional before this, but I mean, I think this was kind of his first like blockbuster type movie that came out. Um, but it had a huge return of uh, just shy of two hundred sixty-four million dollars. Yeah, definitely. Box office. I think a lot of it also has to go to with uh, the cast choice as well. Oh yeah, I mean Bruce Willis, big household name by this point. I've, you know, people know Gary Oldman now too. And if they liked him in the last movie and they see he's returning um, for the next Luke Besson movie, then that's big. And then um, Mila Jovovich, she is uh, sort of the one um, main actress actor in this movie that we haven't talked about yet. But Mm -hmm. I thought that she did a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah, she really did. She... um... I, I thought at the very beginning where she's like gets reincarnated basically, you know, mm-hmm. when she's in the, which all, again goes to the special effects. I mean, I think they did a really, really good job like reanimating bodies or like that's, that, that was their idea of like how to do it. And um, I don't know. She, this is, I mean, it was in her wheelhouse though. You know, she loves doing the acrobatic type work. You mm-hmm. know, if you've ever seen any of the resident evil movies, <laughs> She loves doing that. And I've she, seen she, about five of them, and that's five too many. <laughs> what's the What's the other one where she's like a vampire? It's oh, so, it? I know what you're talking about. That's actually that's not her. That's Kate Beckinsale, I think, in those movies. Oh, they swear night and day. Sometimes they look they look almost the same. But yeah, the Resident Evil movies is where. So I felt like she was running her wheelhouse in terms of movie that she the role that she played but in terms of like uh alien that can't communicate and and her just emotions and of doing like i like that she had a great rapport with bruce willis yeah by the way those kate beckinsale movies we were just talking about it's called underworld that's what it is that's yeah. what it is but um yeah everything everything was i found enjoyable about this movie i thought they took uh, sci-fi movie and taking comic relief is an easy way to digest movies like these, especially like plots, the plot itself and whatnot. I mean, it's kind of not like it's not the craziest plot when you think of when you think of a sci-fi movie. You know, uh, you know, you have alien rates and everything like that, but like the whole main plot is you're saving the world from a darkness that's like a, a planet of darkness that's coming to destroy the world. That's pretty. That seems, Mr. Shadow also. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It seems pretty like basic in terms of like a generalized plot. And then like, the, so you have one savior and the, the lone 
human that doesn't have any powers or anything significant like helps to save the world as well that, that there's tons of i think we could t- come up with like five examples here on the spot if we wanted to oh but, sure yeah we've seen it before but it you know the thing that differentiates this movie i think is like the clever writing and sort of like some of like the slapstick comedy and stuff which i think yeah, actually like, really worked for the movie yeah it did i mean it at the point where we started because you don't not the very very beginning you don't get like a very beginning sense that this is going to be somewhat of a funny movie but then it becomes funny once you like bruce willis you see he's like a taxi driver and he's going through all of it all this his, his mom gets on the phone with him and starts talking about why you never call me and everything like that like that's when you start getting to realize that like hey this is supposed to be an easy digestible movie. It's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to get you out of the movie theater thinking about, you know, <laughs> the, the universe or anything like that. Yeah, no, this isn't really a like think piece. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's definitely a movie for entertainment purposes, purposes with action and good. You're right. Good writing. I thought the slapstick stuff, like when they're hiding, all of the uh, people in his apartment that like shove them all into the refrigerator and stuff like that. And yeah, it's all good stuff. Also just since we're on the point of complimenting things about this film, I thought the scene when Gary Oldman is showing off the new weapon to the aliens that like did the job for him and whoever designed that weapon, is has to be like a genius i think that there was so much thought put into that like ultra handheld weapon that they have that shoots nets and flamethrowers and everything like that it it had the works yeah that looked awesome that looks like something out of like ratchet and clank exactly like some sort of like just crazy atomic like some who knows what kind of weapon it does and you just only the people that created know how to how it works and everything like that yeah just great set design all around in this movie. For sure. I mean, you know, if listener, like you have an interest in set design, you haven't seen this movie or you haven't seen it in a while, that's definitely what I would go back to it for is just taking in some of that because I, this is the kind of future movie I like because it looks like a lived in world, sort of the same as what you get with like the aliens franchise of movies where it's mm-hmm. like, yes, it's the future, but like they're not, you know, going to make everything look like a blank white Christine. space. Yeah. Like, um, you know, uh, and I would have to rewatch this movie too, but I remember minority report being like that where everything was just like an anemic white, you know, room They're like dust all of a sudden didn't exist on earth. You know, like everything was just like so polished. And I was like, this doesn't now like, where's you know where's the dust where's the stack of papers where is like you know like the thing that's been like beat up and uh you know um (laughs) yeah exactly in this movie like everything looks like it's actually been lived in yeah for sure just like when bruce willis opens up his window to living in like south brooklyn it looks like uh my uh, comparison is coruscant uh for the star wars franchise it's just ginormous already city living with cars flying in each and every direction and yeah there's a big fat layer of dirt and they still sell mcdonald's apparently in the 23rd century a <laughs> little bit of a different outfit at mcdonald's <laughs> this time around there's a, yeah. uh, a lot of cleavage in that shot but <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, that's the happy meal. All right. Oh, geez. <laughs> all right. Well, what do you say that we dive into a little bit of the plot? I mean, I think, you know, we keep this maybe a little bit um, higher view than we've done in the past because with this movie, I mean, there is a plot. Like you said, it's it's a lot of stuff that you might have seen before of just, hey, there's a, a big bad coming around, comes once every 5,000 years, and, you know, it takes this unexpected hero to save the Earth. <laughs> exactly it's definitely it's definitely the hero's journey type uh top type of thing yeah so so um yeah yeah let's jump right into it all right well yeah we start out the movie and we're in egypt um it, but it's still the 20th century egypt i think they say like ni- early 1900s um and yeah we're basically greeted to a uh archaeologist professor i don't really know what he is in his uh assistant or protege um they're trying to read some ancient egyptian hieroglyphs uh and we find out that they're getting close to something you know while they're um kind of deciphering these hieroglyphs because uh one of the egyptian residents i guess who's been helping them out and they keep on saying that he's a priest um he actually tries to poison them and that i guess as we get further into the movie did that make sense to you like you know i i I understand the whole thing is he's trying to keep them from discovering this knowledge about the fifth element and Mm -hmm. you know its use in warding off evil but did he have to kill them to do that? <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, well, I, I get what you're trying to. I get what they were trying to portray, and I guess my thought on that is that he, yeah, he's trying to protect them from understanding more of it, it that information getting out, because he was, um, and maybe at the same time though, even though this priest, uh, like, it's, I don't know. It seemed like the priest after this guy later on in the film knows more about what's going on. And my understanding is, is he, he's stopping them from learning too much knowledge. But at the same time, though, like, does he know the dangers that are like looming? Like, because it seems that the aliens that come afterwards that show up there inform them about the, the danger that's coming. Yeah, right. So, I, yeah, you're right. They, um, the poisoning uh, doesn't work. They're not poisoned. But you're right. These alien, this alien race does show up. And it's at that point that we learn that the priest, he knows these aliens. They have a kind of working relationship and knowledge of each other. Um, and they're here to... I guess, retrieve um, a sarcophagus and then also four stones. And they say that um, those things together make up five elements. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a super weapon to stop an evil that comes every 5,000 years. That's, that's like the whole point of it. It's funny. I don't know if you made this comparison, but I did in my head. Have you, have you seen the movie, the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy? No, I haven't. That's one of my blind spots. 
Uh, that's okay. Well, the the aliens that show up into the scene are like really big, bulky. yeah, bulky, exactly, and they look exactly like the alien race that comes out of that movie as well. <laughs> so, but it's just like it's funny to see that these like great aliens that are coming in like take these big wobbly ginormous 300 pound steps <laughs> like like <laughs> because right when at, at the later on the scene when the um entrance that they open up to grab these secret elements and stuff like that begins to close on them because the uh archaeologist's apprentice uh sets off a chain of events that starts closing the the entrance again to all you know all the bad guys and so he <laughs> the the priest is like come on you can make it you can make it save it. and you just see his big fat wobbly steps like no i'm not gonna make Can't this shit time, no. <laughs> <laughs> you're crazy man i'll never be able to squeeze through this you know and then that's why he reaches out his hand and gives the priest it's the crushed. key and yeah he gets crushed but yeah at that point he's like carry on the secret and we have to you can't uh the reason they were there was to take the elements away because they, they weren't safe on earth but they're going to have to use them sooner than later it seems like which shouldn't that alien's body still be in the like tomb at the end when they go in there anyways yeah that's not yeah and what about the archaeologist assistant like he just goes on the rest of his life knowing this knowledge now but he like goes home the next day just being like oh that was a crazy adventure i'm not gonna oh, do this I any mean, further no believe him you know <laughs> yeah, yeah but now, well now he has proof man he's got a body hidden in you know take a stick and dynamite you can open up that part of the part of the portal or part of the entrance i don't i don't know i'm i'm spitballing here but it just seems <laughs> like that sit that assistant was very okay with his uh you know the archaeologist like his mentor dying and then him going on living the rest of his life well i hope he had a good life <laughs> yeah well yeah exactly exactly because then the movie jumps 200 years into the future <laughs> that's right yeah so now we're in 2263 and um we do learn that uh, it's every 5,000 years this great evil comes about, um, which is what the, that alien race, the bulky ones, are out to stop. And uh, I guess this 2263 is the you know 5,000 year occurrence of that because mm-hmm. we're greeted to the military and the president, but I think he's just like, the, is he just the president of Earth? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I forget what he like identified as in the beginning. I think just like just Earth in general now just has a president. <laughs> yeah, they they figured out that they only need one president for the whole Earth, and so uh, he, I guess as he soon was as doing... you start finding other races and planets and stuff, like countries don't even matter at that point. It's just <laughs> yeah, everything's just one entity at that point. Yeah, you are Earth. These are the people of planet Mars. <laughs> no one's like Marsville. <laughs> Marsville. <laughs> I think they're called Martians. <laughs> no, no, I meant like a place in Mars being like, yeah, oh, president of Marsville. <laughs> Sorry, real dumb. <laughs> but, so yeah, we get introduced to the military and they've obviously, they're the first ones to identify this evil that's coming in this planet or whatever. And, um, the military's first instinct is to shoot at it, but that's when we get reintroduced to, I guess, the the priests from the beginning, like the priest from 1914. This was his, this is his predecessor, you know, or you know, 
what is predecessor the word I'm looking for? People after the uh, like first successor. priest. Successor, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. The successor of the priest from earlier. And he's priest Vito Cornelius. And he's, um, that's Ian Holmes. So I, I, I had a good time watching him during that movie. But uh, he, he informs the president, hey, you probably shouldn't use weapons because it's evil and weapons won't stop it. But then, the, the, you know, they still shoot rockets at it. Doesn't do anything. It actually seems to make it angrier. Yeah, I was getting that too. It was getting bigger every time they were shooting rockets at it. I was like, it must just be like absorbing the energy from these weapons. So definitely stop doing that. But yeah, it seems like that there's just a lineage of these priests. And, you know, when one dies or, you know, needs to kind of retire or something, they pass along the knowledge <laughs> to the next one. I mean, we even see Vito Cornelius's like next in line is a, a guy that's around with him. David is his apprentice. And so right. I mean, he's following around everywhere. So, you know, he's going to be the priest after Vito Cornelius. And then that chain just has to keep on continuing for another 5,000 years when um, the uh, evil comes back. Right, man. They should totally make us a, a, a fifth element two but now it's the year 7263 <laughs> i would be very interested in watching that i wonder what i know we like whenever you think of sci-fi movies we always only go about maybe at most like a thousand years into the future what would seven thousand years into the future be or like another five another five thousand in this instance i feel like it would be ridiculous <laughs> just everything is crystal just made out of crystal <laughs> i don't made know out of light. <laughs> there's no there's no humans anymore with physical forms it's just light beings there's no language people just blink at each other <laughs> <laughs> exactly i actually want to see the other way in the past i oh like the the fifth element before the first one where it was right. like because that would be like three thousand something bc, BC. exactly so just... what was that like i mean <laughs> and, and who was and who was those who are those neanderthals and <laughs> who are those homo sapiens and the priests there that stopped the evil earlier who fell in love with Lilu then? You know, <laughs> yeah, unga tunga wonga, bunga bunga. <laughs> so, man, okay, this this movie actually now that I'm thinking about it is leaving me with some more questions and answers. Like, <laughs> yes, it does. Maybe. I'll get around <laughs> to that at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, okay, just picking back where we up. So, the president didn't listen to priest veto here at the beginning but now that he saw that the weapons weren't working the pre the president gets a full understanding and we as the audience too get a full understanding of what is happening here so you got every five thousand years talking about there's four elements fire earth water and air and the fifth supreme being that is supposed to activate the special weapon that we know about and so um, at that point, it becomes their job to try and find out those things. Right. And apparently, it, um, the people who have the crystals are the Mondo Showans, the Mondo Showans, like the big, huge alien creatures that showed up in the beginning. And while they were on their way to Earth to deliver the, the weapon and everything like that, they got destroyed by uh, some 
other bad aliens that were that were hired to do so. So it seemed like all hope was lost at the very beginning. Right. Yeah. So these other aliens, uh, they're called the Mangalores. And right, right. As we find out, they shoot down the ship, uh, but they do recover a box from it, which uh, they have been hired to then bring to Gary Oldman in this movie. Um, in the movie, his name is John Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. But I yeah, feel like he just goes by Zorg. Him, it's just Zorg. So that's yeah. what we're going <laughs> to use also. But um, yeah, he, he hires uh, the Mangalores to deliver um, the uh, Four Stones plus the sarcophagus, which is carrying the Supreme Being. Mm-hmm. And um, he, in turn, has been instructed to do that by uh the great evil which in the movie uh i don't know if this is just in the subtitles that i was watching or if they ever mm-hmm. say it in the movie but it said mr shadow was the name yeah of- they do like because zorg has a secretary and right. whatever like with that one time that <laughs> the the orb called zorg <laughs> <laughs> The best part was he was grabbing Zorg. Uh, the the planet was absorbing satellites to get a radio signal to give Zorg a call saying, "I'm on my way." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty ridiculous plot. Jupiter, or I think a little. I got my roadmap here. I think I'm a little lost, Zorg. I took I took intergalactic state seventy. Uh, <laughs> I uh, knocked out the GPS because I absorbed the satellite. That was, the <laughs> yeah, GPS, that, that so. was directing the signal. So oh, that's me. That's on me. That's my fault. <laughs> they say follow the North Star, but I absorbed <laughs> it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah. So, anyways, um, the, uh, the man, Mangalores, uh, you know, they they messed up when they were retrieving the box that has the four elements. Um, yeah. It didn't have know. anything in the box. There was nothing in the box. Yeah. Zorg opens it up. It's empty. Um, they say, you know, well, it, actually they're doing it in exchange for weapons because Zorg is kind of a, um, Oh, he's just like a big time capitalist, but yeah, I think he's also like a weapons manufacturer and things like that. Yeah, seems like that. And these Mangalores are like a they're like warriors. They're like an alien race based off of, you know, doing battle. That's right. So they said, Hey, we kept up our in the deal. All you said was to get this box. We're gonna take your weapons now. And so Sorok says, Ah, you know, all right, you know, that's fair. Go ahead, take the weapons. But that's after he demonstrates the weapon. And this was a very fun part of the movie because we, you know, talked about earlier, this weapon, it looks like something out of, you know, like ratchet and clank, but it's just, it's a, it's a weapon that can do pretty much anything you can think of. Like, it's just like, I feel like jump cuts of him being like, all right, well, here's the uh, fire mode. It has a tracking beacon. So you can turn, you know, 180 degrees around and it'll still shoot around you to hit your target. Um, Mm -hmm. What it has a flamethrower, it has a net catcher, it ice, had ice abilities, yeah, yeah, ice abilities, and a rocket launcher on it. It had the works, but then right. he, he, as even though he seems like he got bamboozled in the the trade from the Mangalores, there was a self destruct button that was on there that one of the stupid Mangalores pressed and basically blew up. So 
Gary Oldman had a really nice explosion scene, like he was James Bond or something like that, <laughs> as the Mangalores blow themselves up. A lot of good explosions in this movie. This yeah. and then on the uh, on the ship at the, the like cruise ship kind of thing at the end. Had some nice explosions uh, of the bar that Bruce Willis was hiding behind. But yeah, brave man, brave man to be next to live explosives on set <laughs> for that scene because he, he's he pretty close to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, yep, you're right. Uh, so Zorg, he gets the one up. And it's at this point that we go back to um, the military. The military. And so from the wreckage of the Mondershawin's ship, they did recover uh, just the tiniest piece of what the sarcophagus was holding. I think they said it was just a hand. And this was a really cool part of the movie. You know, it, this is kind of where it, it, the first time it felt like the future to me, like something that was, you know, really thought out. Was yeah, other than this... the spaceships flying around, like that. Well, shot yeah, that, that like too. That. But this was the first time that they they used their special effects to, I think it's like the, the fullest degree because they have they're in New York City now and they're able to take their biology technology, that biotech that they have and it's basically just a pod that can reconstruct bodies from bone to muscle and and skin and all while doing it with this uh just a piece of a severed hand basically so it was very cool to watch they thought what that would look like and they even explained it too like so they got through two-thirds of the process like there's already the bone and the the muscle tissue back but they cover up the pod in a uh, shield and then they start u- shooting uv lights and the guy was even explaining like the natural body's instinct to, to protect against uv lights is for it to form skin so it doesn't get burned so like i was like oh well that that may, does make sense that's the whole point of skin right and so very cool that they were able to like not only create this idea of what reconstructing a body would look like but put like an explanation to the science right yeah it's just uh, very interesting like uh, and it's not something that you see in the other sci-fi movies i'm thinking of i guess like you're right you know they did have the spaceships before this but i would i almost expected to like just see those just because it's a sci-fi movie but this this kind of set it apart it was something cool and then you know so here's where we're introduced to uh, Mila Jovovich, and we later learn her character is named Lilu. Um, but she is the fifth element. Um, and she is, you know, trapped in this tube where they did the, 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 the regeneration. Using, yeah. Right. And she's speaking like a, an alien language. Um, you know, they even try and use their. Uh, um, translating technology that they have in the future and it's it's a language that it doesn't recognize or like a dead language or something and bleep, I'm like, bleep 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was very impressed of like, the actress Mila Jovovich doing this alien language I don't know if that sounds if that makes sense but like I, I guess to explain it like you know it, did you she, like her did you like her acting of fake alien language basically just because it sounded like 
it could be a real language in that <laughs> like you know if you ask me to do an alien language like i'm not gonna do it but you know it would just be <laughs> like yeah i would like be just repeating a lot of the same like you know phonetics and things like that right whereas she i mean it sounded like everything independently probably could be a word and i you know she's an actress like you know she's doing this you know professionally whereas i wouldn't have that ability but what i did read and who knows whether this is true but this was under the trivia on imdb is that her and luke Besson did sit down and like come up with a fake language i mean you know enough for the movie like you know i don't know if her they actually attributed you know, any of the words have a meaning yeah her yeah I was just about to say, <laughs> I was going to crack a wise one to say, oh, well, you didn't know that Luke Besson actually put those in the script and she just is really good at memorizing that, you know, her script and her, her part. So she was just, you know, <laughs> word for word. Yeah, she just uh, <laughs> doesn't even think about her lies. She just reads them and uh, spits them out. But, exactly. you know, she she apparently is fluent in four languages, the actress Mila Jovovich. So I bet that does help. Yeah, like some of those did. fanatics has to. It has to just un- like understanding the basis of language and stuff like that when you're learning it from that many standpoints. Yeah, I'm sure that if anything, I bet you there was a large combination of her just taking parts of those different languages and f- forming them together. So it's not one language, but it's like the combination of her imaginary language that she came up with plus real language. Mm-hmm. And here's where we learned that she's super strong too, because she's not supposed to be able to break through the glass in this tube. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, one of the military captains who we see again, I don't have his name here, but he um, walks right up to the glass basically. And is, you know, like, I, I don't know, taunting her or saying something, you know, just cause he feels secure on the other side of the glass. She breaks right through, grabs his tie and then uh, bangs his head into the glass and knocks him out. But so, yeah, we learned that, you know, she's super strong, super human. Well, she's not even human actually. She's, you know, Supreme being, but um, yeah. and then she jumps right <laughs> through a wall after that. Yeah, basically she's yeah she's full real real scared and everything like that. I also found it funny that when he, the general, the, whoever the lieutenant was, who gets knocked out, it's like that classic like ah, I pulled you in and bonked your head, and then you fall backwards, fall <laughs> like, like oh, I'm knocked out. <laughs> this did have yeah some like Looney Tunes type stuff going on, especially yeah. like I mean like the oh, musical wow. stings and stuff like that. This is, I thought the music and the sounds in this movie work for the movie, but like, I don't know <laughs> who you would have to be to buy like the Fifth Element soundtrack. You know what I mean? <laughs> because when you're not watching it with its counterpart on the screen, you're not really like, everything is just queued up to what's happening in the movie. Exactly. The movie came first, music came afterwards. And so it's only going to just play in when the scene's happening and whatnot. I'm totally there with you. And otherwise, it would be if you were just like driving down the road listening to some, some of the soundtrack, you'd just be like, what the hell is going on? I'm sitting in traffic right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but basically, so all this happens. She's running around. She's still in this, you know, hospital for what we know. And she's trying to escape 
because now the um, all the uh, generals and military people are kind of on red alert. They got the police chasing after her now. And she manages to find herself outside for the first time. So now she realizes like I'm in a city and she's like even more scared about that just because there's crazy stuff going on around her. She's on the, like the building ledge, basically trying to find a way out. She gets stopped by a flying police car trying to tell her, Hey, you know, freeze you're under arrest. And she just jumps off the ledge and crashes right down into uh, where we meet. Well, it's not the first time we met Bruce Willis. It's the second time because we see Bruce Willis for the first time when you see him in his crappy apartment. But yeah, lo and behold, he uh, flies down into Bruce Willis. It's Corbin Dallas, mm-hmm. is his name, his taxi cab. And um, it's at that point. Was it that point or later on when we find out that he's part of like Earth? He was a he's a retired like military special force ops guy i think it connected with me later on i don't know if they mentioned it when we're first introduced to him because you're right you know he's in kind of like a rundown apartment you kind of get like a taste of his life uh you know maybe going nowhere down on his luck kind of guy and you know he's also um on his like last point of his driver's license or something like yeah that, he's driving about to around a taxi up. so you know as soon as lilu comes crashing through his taxi roof um you know whatever <laughs> voice he loses the comes he over. Loses point of his he loses the last point on his car on his driver's license so he's like oh my god <laughs> well yeah he definitely loses the last point once he pulls away from the police car when they're right. uh, when they're doing the rope securing thing, which that was kind of cool, you know, I, 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 there was some thought put into this movie for sure. As far as like the future, you know, there's these flying cars, but you know, how do you pull somebody over or you know go car to car when you're the mm-hmm. police in a flying car? And it's, I mean, you know, they didn't do something like that was hugely special effects heavy like a you know like yeah it was very transport very, bridge or anything like that it was literally rope and a hook <laughs> yeah so pretty like honestly if you're, i mean if you are thinking of the future and maybe that's just because like it's just i don't know they don't have the technology or whatever like that but nowadays you know there would be like a uh, tractor beam that captures the ship you know it can't move out of the tractor beam or something like that i feel like now with today's special effects there would have been a much more tech reasoning of able to like secure the car safely but you're right they did what they went with the old tow truck oh for sure and that's what i think like you know if we do get to that point in the future that's going to be the easiest solution you know that's why i think i like like a movie that's uh it's not set as far in the future but have you seen looper also bruce yeah okay yeah you know, that has like definitely futuristic things in it. But then as soon as you go outside of the city, there's still farmhouses and 30 Yeah, there's nothing. Trucks, you know? Yeah, there's. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It's like you can only advance so far technologically, and, and only a finite amount of people or places can afford said technology. Right. Like some things are just never going to change in that way. And so that's kind of what I liked about that movie and just something as simple as a rope and a hook for flying cars is like, 
yeah, that is probably what they would use because that's the easiest solution. <laughs> right, exactly. It's moving so, on. Um, moving on. Bruce Willis, you know, he uh, – I think he's pretty much in love with Lilu from the start, you know, like it may, maybe he, he might just do it cause he feels bad for her at first, but I mean, you can definitely tell right away that he's also like attracted to her. Yeah. Um, it's Snoresville for me. Come on. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I know. It is kind of eye rolling. Yeah. To bring any romantic feature into this, other than the fact that he's just like, maybe, just like uh, attracted to her looks, you know. Yeah, it seems very wonky or whatever that. But while <laughs> it's not is... her conversation ability, she, she no, can't it's speak not English. Exactly. Maybe it's the fact that she's only wearing like strips of duct tape as clothing or something like that. That's also <laughs> a reasoning. But um, during the taxi cab getaway, or maybe it's right after. Um, Lilu tells uh, Corbin about uh, how somehow she knows about Vito, the priest, and his apprentice, David. So um, that's what exactly what Corbin goes and does. He, bring, he brings them right to like the priest's apartment, essentially. And that's where they're able to recognize, like, oh, this is, this is the fifth element. Like, my God, this is, this is exactly what they've been looking for to save the world. Right. And so, yes, now they have the fifth element, but they still need these stones at this point um, in order to ward off the evil. Right. The, the, the <laughs> evil. <laughs> Every villain. The is evil. <laughs> I was <laughs> just thinking that. Oh, SpongeBob. You good show. Yeah, you good. So, uh, I, I, from. What I gathered during this time, so like basically Lilu's recuperating. She's also learning the language a little bit, but she informs Cornelius that the stones were never on the, the ship that was coming in. She, she was the, the only thing that was in the ship, the fifth element. And so the, the stones were actually entrusted to uh, the opera singer. I i heard her name maybe like one time i, I can't remember what her yeah name. they kept on calling her diva yeah diva exactly exactly and so um that's also the exact same time that we realized that um zorg zorg had been uh basically bamboozled by the monashoans and that's what the the morgul's they didn't deliver the the mangal the mangalores the mangalores the right yeah, exactly so, um, seeing as that Corbin, uh, right? Uh, I have to get these names right. Corbin is Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, thank you. Seeing that Corbin was Special X Force, they the military entrusts Corbin to deliver Lee Lu to this the diva, the opera singer, and where is she at? She's on a cruise ship. The which I thought this was a like a pretty uh, the floating paradise the, like, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't put now it's floating like f-l-o-a-t-i-n it was like flow p-h-l-o and then when you know Boston. it's a, yeah it's a, it's a cruise liner that's floating on top of the water so i was like floating paradise i like that right and it's uh through a radio contest put on by ruby road 
<laughs> Ruby Road. Yeah, exactly. That's when we get our first taste of Chris Tucker, which which is a TV commercial that's playing in Corbin's apartment. And um, it seems like the military not only hired Corbin, but they also rigged the um, contest in order to make sure that he won and was able to go on the ship with him and uh, Lilu. Yeah, and so is this... <laughs> <laughs> this is the scene where the military it's the same general who uh got pulled into the glass <laughs> by Lilu, but mm-hmm. he and two others one of which i think is like the giant woman from dodgeball right <laughs> I don't, the reason the reason i real it, she just had those swirl princess layla yeah the princess layla like buns like yeah, those are for the girls that have like a ton of hair, like hair down to their butts, but they want to like tie it up, so they do the the, the cinnamon roll buns on the sides of their head. Yeah, but I, I, it, it might not be the same actress, but she looked a lot like the uh, woman from Dodgeball. If that's not the case, but yeah, this is another sort of like comedy scene that I mean, this one maybe didn't hit me the same way, but it was definitely trying to be kind of like slapsticky but so they all come in uh visit corbin in his apartment same rundown apartment that we saw in the beginning and um anyways uh lilu and the priest and the priest uh apprentice david come to the door and you know corbin shoves uh the three of these military people into his fridge and then the fridge like <laughs> lowers down into the floor and then when Lilu comes in and all of them, the police come in. And so, you know, he's got to put Lilu in the shower, which <laughs> raises up and the priest <laughs> in the bed. It's like, yeah, it's just like a, you know, awkward, like comedy scene from like Keenan and Kel or something of like, <laughs> of, like remember that like British comedy where the guy is getting chased by the police through like uh, all across the di- the hallway with the oh, different yeah. It's like did like do, yakety saxes on. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was just, it was super crazy. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> I was thinking of it. That's exactly the that's the song I was going with it. But that's that's what I imagined in my head as well. It was all just a very supposed to be a kind of comic. Oh, well, I've got to hide everyone in different places and whatnot. But. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, anyways, this, this whole uh, scene, it kind of – it doesn't really go anywhere just because the police, they um, get the wrong guy kill, I think. <laughs> the, the, yeah. Another the, guy it was, who's it was not Corbin. Neighbor. So the Corbin was able to at one point switch the name tags on their apartment doors, and they had that – what what do you call it? CD radio, the CDTV, the closed what's, – what's it called? Oh, uh, yeah, CCTV. CCTV, yeah, exactly. They were able to see into the different apartments based off of, like, what if the police ever needed to raid and stuff like that. And so the the neighbor who they, Corbin, switched the tags with some of that. What do you say? Smoke you. Smoke you. The cop, he was trying to cooperate with the cops, but he said smoke you instead of, like, fuck you or whatever he was trying to say. Hey, it's future <laughs> slang. It's, it's the, that's the worst That's the worst thing you can call a person. But he, he gets tagged and bagged. He gets tagged and bagged. Yeah, tagged and bagged. Uh, Lilu comes 
you know, Corbin brings Lulu back down from the shower, and I guess the shower is an auto wash feature, so she's freezing, whatever. He's still being a little bit like creepy. Creepy, I guess, is the word with her. He tried to kiss her actually at a scene that we didn't mention, and then Earlier, she, while yeah, she was like, sleeping, while she was asleep, and it's like, man, I don't, I, you know, being a little overbearing here, Bruce Willis, but um. Is it, so, okay, I gotta say, since you're bringing it up, I'm gonna bring it up anyways. Is that a Luke Besson thing? Do you think it probably is? Yeah. Is that a Luke Besson thing? Because uh, we had a th- we had a discussion about it with uh, Leon and everything Leon, like the that. Professional, yeah, yeah. I think he is. Well, it's not that I think. I mean, he's had like accusations and stuff. So I mean. It, I'd rather not bring that to <laughs> the characters in the movie. You know, like Bruce Willis, his uh, trait in this movie, I guess, is that he just, you know, kisses sleeping He's women. Father figure watching after the young girl thing. It's the, there's a similarity there, but I mean, it's I guess it's not as creepy as I guess yeah, Leon so- was, or the you know the accusations that came with that movie. I don't think there was anything like that here, but. Uh, there's similarities. Well, technically, she's an immortal being, so there is no age. So you know, it's <laughs> what to feel is, bad about what is age when you're the fifth element exactly? <laughs> so um, yeah, I, you know, here's the, the the comedy scene. I guess is that she's freezing the shower. The priest, when he you know got put on the bed that retracts into the wall, it you know covered him with plastic, and he's having trouble breathing, and then. Um, once uh, they leave the apartment, <laughs> Bruce Willis opens the back up the fridge and the three like military officers are in there frozen. And I was like, I, you know, I, I hadn't seen this movie in a while. I was like, oh, my God, they're dead. <laughs> no that's not that type of movie like apparently they're just fine afterwards even though they're like frozen solid basically yeah i just thought that was funny that they were there in that refrigerator for less than like oh five minutes and they've already reached the freezing point where they, they had their frozen solid or whatever Good and fridge. then yeah and then next thing you know later on the scenes they're totally fine he's totally fine <laughs> yeah i know that, this, this is a more cup of, like a cup a of hot cocoa action movie and for sure this this was supposed to be it, it, there were lots of slap happiness to this but at the end of the day it seems that um uh what's going on here Corb, corbin is getting prepared now to go he's on the uh he's at the airport now he's at the airport because they're getting on a plane to fly out to this cruise liner that they that he's been awarded tickets for that's right. So, yeah, here's – I guess the movie takes kind of a shift at this point because we're no longer in, like, the Brooklyn, New York setting. Or I guess here they're still, you know, going to the airport. But LaGuardia. Yeah. 20, 23rd sense of LaGuardia. With just a heap of trash in the middle of the airport also. Exactly. Uh, but, it, you know, everybody knows that um, Corbin was the one who won this – contest and so i mean we have kind of a few different entities who want his ticket the priest he knocked out corbin at his apartment and stole the tickets uh so um he's actually going to put his apprentice david in corbin's place and have the apprentice david take lilu to you know floston um the, the cruise ship 
meanwhile, uh, Corbin is also at the airport. And then on top of that, we have um, Zorg has yeah, Zorg's sent, cronies. Yeah, sent his own guy um, who's taking the place of um, who wants to take the place of Bruce Willis. And then we have the fourth party is the Mangalores, who they're able to shapeshift, and they also want to take his place. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is four different people trying to use this one ticket. Basically, we get David and Lilu up at the counter first. David's kind of like a nervous wreck, and uh, the real Corbin comes up and says, oh, you know, hey, thanks for um, – you know, taking my uh, <laughs> tickets up to the counter, like you can leave now, basically. Um, and reclaims his uh, boarding pass with Lilu. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you're right. Then the other three all have an incident where they try to get back to, onto the ship. Or, excuse me, it would just be two. It was, it was Zorg and the, the disguised Mangalores, but they all get shut down the door because Corbin has now taken his place. So, more just like slap happy stuff where the uh mangalores like can't hold their shape shift and start firing their guns in the airport at the police and then right. you also they have only Zor- know one thing <laughs> it's like yeah you exactly. know, they're, they're a warrior race like yeah they can shape shift but they're not very good actors you know like they can't uh they can't shift like their voices or anything so what comes out is still just like really deep like grovels and things like that so not very convincing there Right. And then Zorg's guy doesn't even make it either. And because he can't get on the ship, he calls Zorg, says he didn't make it. And <laughs> apparently Zorg is just really good with pyrotechnics and has everything booby trapped because <laughs> it's just this one payphone that they has at the, at the uh, uh, airport that he's, his minions calling him from. And <laughs> he's like, I'm, I don't like being disappointed. And it just blows him up, and along with like five other people next to him. So, yeah. How did you like Gary Oldman's Southern draw in this movie? Uh, it was not as bad as his hairdo. Yeah, his hairdo was awful. <laughs> yeah, he has a really bad hairdo, and I, when he talks to Mister Shadow at one point later on in the scene, it's, it's coming up here soon. He's like his hair must have some dye or color to it or whatever like that. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it starts like. He's sweating and shaking so much from his conversation that his hair dye starts like spilling down the front of his forehead onto his nose. And I was just like, that looks like poop. Oh, is that, <laughs> wait, is that what that was supposed to be? Hair dye? I, what did you think it was? I thought it was blood. And I was wondering, like, it, because he, it, it pans up uh, kind of at once the call ends and he doesn't have any sort of like, point where blood would be coming from so i was like apparently mr shadow the talking planet can just like materialize blood out of nowhere but yeah maybe that makes more sense that his hair dye because his hair is like jet black like yeah it's really black exactly and he even has his hair is half of it's covered by like a plastic dome like half of his head is dyed yeah. the other half is covered in a dome so I, it just makes me think that like it's it's a hair product kind of thing yeah that makes a little bit more sense to me <laughs> all, all, all of it doesn't make sense at all because at the end of the day when he like 
looks at his forehead, like what's leaking from his forehead, it, it there's really no sign of what it is. But we'll just <laughs> it is. Have you seen that video for a, it was like pretty recent of uh, Rudy Giuliani <laughs> giving like a, a talk or something like that, and you know this like just black like goo starts just leaking down his face because i guess he uh like dyes his hair and it must have been a really bad job but it was just like disgusting it looked like that but so the hair dye doesn't make sense no i didn't but that is quite disgusting it's very gross and uh so okay and here's where the movie does take a shift because from here on out we are in Floston, and um, what that is is it looks like it's a planet that's basically just like beaches, but the trip itself is on this floating cruise ship uh, mm-hmm. that they have there. And so Bruce Willis and uh, Mila Jovovich, I guess let's call them by their character names, Corbin sure. and Lilu, uh, they get on this ship. Um, and they're taken there. Uh, turns out that um, what's his name? Uh, Vito. Yeah, Vito. He was able mm-hmm. to board the ship as well. Um, just yeah, like he snuck. He's right before takeoff. Yeah, right before takeoff, he got like he went to the landing gear. He like basically held onto a <laughs> one of the wheels before it took off and got there. And we're also importantly uh, introduced to Ruby Road, Chris Tucker's character on the plane. He like again, I mentioned this earlier. It's it's a, he's a radio DJ star. So every time that he's on the air, he's basically got his microphone to his ear, but his cane that he walks around with is also a microphone <laughs> so he's basically like he comes on and off the air um, whenever he wants to so he manages to meet corbin for the first time as in you know the prize winner to the, the you know the the promotion that he did earlier and we got a little taste of him i thought this part was hilarious because of the way that chris tucker looked with his low shoulder like cheetah print outfit that he was wearing, but that and also his blonde hair and how like the front of it was a cylinder. Like they managed <laughs> to make a cylinder of his hair that like project almost out of his forehead a little bit. And I was just like, that looks like a toilet paper roll. <laughs> they just like yeah. put, that they just put like <laughs> blonde fake hair all around, and that's like that was Chris Tucker's hair now. So that might have been how they did it. <laughs> it could have been. It, it looked. Scenes. It looked. <laughs> It looked a lot like it, but that was when we got a taste of his flamboyant character, you know, on the talk show and everything like that. And so, uh, yes, I love like the music that was playing while it's just like it, it was DJ stuff, DJ talking in radio, radio, radio. Like, um, it was all of that happening, yeah. It just like it had a very like, uh, do you ever play this game called Jet Set Radio? <laughs> no i haven't oh, okay well that was a very french game and obviously luke Besson is french so i think it's just like I, yeah like this weird you know just kind of like it's just like sound effects it was like barely even like composed Audible. music yeah but yeah just like and i don't know it was, it was a great scene and yeah i mean ruby road he's just like 
talking up a storm like you know you basically just can't even like this is actually where i had to turn on subtitles in the movie because i was like i want to know what he's saying <laughs> at this point and like you can just like talk a mile a minute and uh everything is like you know if if something's good it's green and so he's like that green is that emerald green is that <laughs> super green right yeah exactly <laughs> i feel like he like he uses things to measure good and bad from like a stoplight it's like if it was bad <laughs> it'd be red if it was okay it was yellow it's emerald green perfect right but then you know corbin is just like it, you know, Ruby has got a radio, radio show to make, man. And so he's <laughs> trying to get like anything more than a one word response out of Corbin. And, you know, he's just doing one word responses. So it's like kind of frustrating him. You could tell and stuff like that, but uh, just, just a good, great scene. Right. So we're on, we're on Flowston. And at this point, uh, it seems like Lilu is kind of knows she's, there on a mission with Bruce and everything like that, but at the same time, though, this is her first time experiencing anything out of anything like real life at the moment, like any real vacation paradise type thing that's going on. So she's kind of just taking in the scenery while um, we Bruce Willis is trying to you know get himself situated, and that's when we get also introduced uh, to Diva, the opera singer, mm-hmm. and. Um, when she gets, they're all in this the sweet style area of the ship. You know, each door has their own door. You know, like in the hallway, and it's all these very classy rooms and stuff like that. And as Diva is entering the room that is assigned to her, her uh, like uh, right hand, I guess she whispers something to her right hand, goes down the hall. And has like a secret conversation with Lulu saying that like, hey, I, I know you're here. Uh, meet me after the concert and I'll, I'll give you the stone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. She's been entrusted the stones. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the uh, things that Corbin gets as the winner of the D- or radio contest is um, uh, front row seats to the opera um of which diva is the opera singer and so yeah i mean i think we talked a little bit earlier about the opera part very very like good singing you you said that the actress actually was like opera trained yeah no it wasn't yeah she's an albanian soprano opera singer so she was an actual real opera singer and uh, the that was the best part when she was actually doing her opera you know, audit uh, rendition, but at the same time, though, it it turned real. So, excuse me, sorry guys. I guess we missed some small little part here. But uh, not only is Chris and Lulu and all of them, they made it onto the space, the the ship, and onto the cruise liner, but also the Mangalore crew also made it on there as well. So there's a hired group of the Mangalore warriors that are here. So, oh, good point. While, right. So while this is happening, the the opera is the Mangalores go into the uh, the opera singer divas you know luxury suite to look for the the uh, stones so they kill her assistants stuff like that start raiding the room they find another small box uh, thinking that it's going to be where they hid the stones and so at that point Lilu um, pursues and stops them at the door and there's a fight scene and that's exactly when the opera music turned into like hip hop euro pop 
opera singing, <laughs> which was like it fit the scenery again, but I yeah. wouldn't listen to the music if I was in my car <laughs> or like listening to it on my radio. But uh, it was, yeah, it is what it is. It was like <laughs> Matt said it the best. It was a choice and they lived with it. <laughs> yeah. Don't, we're not going to argue whether it was the right choice or not, but it was, yeah, it was something. But it was uh, a choice. Hey, the Mangalores, you know, they're pursuing the stones too. Is that just as a screw you to Zorg? Uh, no, it's not. So, uh, and that's actually funny that you bring that up because they're working for Zorg again because the, the box like ends up in Zorg's hands. Now he goes there himself to pick it up, but I think the Mangalores we're trying to help them out as well, which maybe you're right. Maybe I missed that. It could have been that they were working for themselves and Zord was there on his own intent to try and pursue the stones himself. But if they were there working for Zord again, it would just, that's just so funny to me. Cause like when they want to learn their lesson after Zorg totally screwed them with that self-destructing weapon <laughs> that happened earlier on in the movie. Yeah. Like, I think so. They were there. Because, like, they, I mean, they don't care about the stones themselves for any reason. But I think that they also don't like Zorg at this point because he did blow them up. Or, well, they blew themselves up, but with the gun that he produced. So I think that they're literally just there as sort of like a throw wrench to Zorg. Yeah, like to get the stones for themselves. So they maybe have like leverage leverage with the talking money. Yeah. So, anyways. Not important, but uh, they yeah, do yeah. break into the uh, opera um, as it's going, and they are just uh, kind of shooting wildly in the crowd, and things like that. Um, so a lot of people evacuate, a lot of people, uh, you know, duck down in the opera house. Uh, but it is at this point that Diva, the opera singer, she is hit in the, um, I guess, stomach area by one of the shots. <laughs> Gotcha. And, in the gut. It's got in the gut. Yeah, but, right, uh, but if aliens yeah. have guts. We it's, should mention that she is maybe, a gigantic blue alien also. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, with a name like Diva, that's implied. <laughs> but you're right. So Bruce Willis is like basically so th- at this point, Bruce Willis is trying to tend to the wounds of Diva. Uh Zorg has met up now with Lilu in the Divas uh, you know, sweet hotel uh, after defeating all the Mangalores that were trying to uh, capture the stones. But she has to flee for her life because Zorg has now that same weapon we were talking about. So she flees into the air vents trying to avoid getting killed. And from the other point where Bruce Willis and Diva are, we find out that uh, Diva didn't hide the stones in the her room at all. They're actually inside her, like in her body. Yeah, I so, want an explanation on that. Yeah, I don't know. If you see the stones, guys, later on, they're ginormous <laughs> rectangular prisms. They're there's like four eight, of them. Yeah, and there's four of them. They're each like 20 inches tall, five inches thick, and they were just hiding in this girl's stomach. <laughs> and Bruce Willis was like, I'm going to reach it. Not only is 
she dying and dead and Bruce Willis gets hit with this knowledge that she has the stones inside her, but he feels obligated then to reach into like her bullet wounds and, <laughs> pull, out the stone. and pull out the stones. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I think you could have thought of a better hiding place than to eat, eat the stones or something like that. That is, that is you know, <laughs> the best idea in my opinion, but hey, it didn't hurt her at all. She was dead. So it was just very weird to watch that being the uh, the, the, the ending hiding place. <laughs> and when she first said, like, the stones are inside of me, I thought that she was, like, speaking in a figurative sense, like that, like, yeah, she, she had the knowledge of some, the stones yeah, the knowledge. or something like that. And then he literally reaches inside of her bullet and pulls out a stone. I was like, oh, okay, that's where we are. All right. It totally should have been something like, like you know, how she was wearing like an outfit. She had like her opera dress on or whatever her outfit. Yeah, her neck like a bit of it looked like jewelry or maybe it was a part of her, you know, dress or whatever like that. It would have been much more feasible to me if she would have just like touched her neck or touched like maybe like a bracelet or something like that and then the stones would appear instead of it being like (laughs) (laughs) i feel like a doctor that slaps the the rubber (laughs) the rubber glove and just starts (laughs) intervening into the body (laughs) um (laughs) so bruce willis uh here's where you know ruby roads are out for the rest of the movie and mm-hmm. I guess here's where Ruby Road gets, you know, another uh, reason to be in the movie is that Bruce Willis gives him uh, all four of the stones and says, you know, guard these with your life. Basically, just like, don't let these out of your sight because Bruce Willis has to do his Bruce Willis things. And that includes picking up a gun and uh, taking over. Yeah, so- this is a super funny part because uh, with all these like uh, guests, there's like, opera appreciated uh, uh, appreciators there like enthusiasts and one of them who ruby road introduces as he's on the air like you know going through the, the celebrities that are here and stuff like that is an opera enthusiast that's deaf oh yeah <laughs> it's that's so, a nice little touch i like that and then he gets like a five second cut of like people talking to him and he just has a hand to his ear just saying like what i can't hear you <laughs> yeah that was a nice touch that's funny <laughs> So at one point during this firefight with the Mangalores that were holding everyone captive at one point and shot Diva, Bruce Willis is hiding behind the bar and he sees the opera enthusiast like hiding like himself underneath a table and he just yells and he just goes like give me the gun because there's a dead Mangalore next to him that had a weapon there he's like give me the gun give me the gun and when he finally figures out like oh you want something from me he throws like two billiard balls his way. <laughs> Just like, what is this? What are you doing? Big help. <laughs> Big help. That's what you get from uh, opera enthusiasts. But um, this is just uh, just kind of let's speed it up here a little bit more. At this point, Zork flees to his ship because he thinks he has the stones. And again, when he goes in there, we just realize that he doesn't have them. So he, Gary Oldman has a great little like <laughs> like laugh of despair as he sits down and looks in the, the, the case and he's laughing. So like the stones aren't here. So maybe shame on first, you know, fool me one shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me for Gary Oldman to get a box twice that had no stones in them. I know, man. Also just like open up the box while you're in the hotel room. <laughs> because he he plants a bomb that I think is only set for 20 minutes 
And then he yeah, like walks outside with the box, gets a new mm-hmm. ship, takes off. And it's at that point that he looks to finally open it up. He's like, ah, shit. <laughs> very, very like that classic, like, ah, I got fooled. You know, like yeah. uh, I didn't cut what I came here for villain. Yeah. Um, so so Lulu's yeah. still in the vents. She mm-hmm. must have been hit by, I mean, one of the bullets, one of the bullets yeah, or something. Which, by the way, I wonder, there has to be somewhere on the internet a running list of all the movies where a character gets into vents. Because Yo, I, I think well, most Bruce of the Will, movies we've watched Bruce have probably Will, had. The air vents, man. That man that man has been living in the vents for days. He knows his way around the vents. That's actually just where, uh, yeah, Bruce Willis, little known fact, when he's on set, he doesn't have a uh, trailer. They, he, he just says, no, just give me access to the vents. <laughs> he, he lives in there when they're shooting. There's just like this one big box area of the vent where he's got like a little like foam mattress set up and everything like that. And like some cups of SpaghettiOs he's been living off of. Very much a method actor. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's, he's in the scene. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So, yeah. Bruce Willis rescues Lilu now. She's injured kind of badly, but not life-threatening. She's still in and out of consciousness and whatever like that. And uh, Zorg now escapes, but he doesn't have anything. So the next scene is with you. We have um, Ruby. We have the priest. We have the priest's assistant. We have um, Lilu, and we have Corbin. So all five of them make it back to the same temple in Egypt. And at this point... Um, the president thinks that everything's safe and there's even like a little bit of scene where they're celebrating and whatnot like that because now they have the four stones and the elements so everything should be safe at this point but the evil sphere (laughs) mr shadow mr shadow (laughs) mr shadow call him by his name that's my father mr shadow (laughs) (laughs) please mr shadow's my father just call me orb (laughs) So, so yeah so Billy this- Shadow <laughs> go ahead I'm sorry <laughs> it's okay, it's, okay. Uh, it's just um, the, the great evil must also realize that something's amiss because even what's happening with Zorg what's happening he starts speeding up towards Earth going like much much faster he's shrunk in size to maybe, maybe move faster as a smaller orb but it's still it's like an asteroid it could completely destroy the planet if it hit it and mm-hmm. so now it, it seems that there's less than two hours before the orb arrives. And so now Lee Lu and Bruce Willis are on a time crunch now to figure out how to save the world. So they're in the temple. Luckily enough, they don't really have any hindrances uh, in terms of like any more Mangalores or Zorg is there at the temple. Nothing like that. It's kind of just a race against the clock. And from there, the priest is just trying to tell him he keeps saying the word theoretically theoretically i know how this works but i've never done it myself theoretically well and right i mean just because it's been passed down by you know priest to priest and you know oh yeah that's true that's true he's, like, I mean, he, he's, he's never, never had to do this before but yeah it's also interesting that i mean this is timed for every five thousand years and so like if you knew when the last one was then like you know if you're that priest veto you would know, hey, in my lifetime, like <laughs> this is going to happen. Maybe I should run some practice drills. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, okay. So if that's correct, we're also in the year. Was it twenty three? 
the 23rd century and the year 2200s, you know, 5,000 years ago, we were in 3000 BC, you know, maybe it was just some cave drawings or whatever like that, some hieroglyphs. No, there was no such thing as paper three in 3000 BC. So maybe that was the carvings on the wall that they were uh, looking at in the beginning. Yeah. And someone put a book together that the, that the priest has, but. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Anywho, anywho, they set up, they set up the stones according to the elements and then nothing's working. But then we realize that um, the elements must react with uh, the elements. So it's not only just the stones lined up, but they have to react with the elements. So. Yeah, that was kind of cool. You know, so they, they put them all up on their pedestals. Nothing's happening. And, you know, they're running out of time. And then it's David, the apprentice. He says something and then does like a big sort of like sigh or like blows something out. Blows yeah, he says like, out like we're all doomed or something like that. He, he mutters something and sighs. And then that's when the element starts reacting to it. Right, because he's standing in front of the wind stone. And so that's how they realize that, you know, it's all so what do we have uh I, one of them sprinkles some dust sand the earth stone yeah sand on the earth stone that activates it the, pre- the <laughs> priest know, wipes his brow yeah, wipes with... his brow and then squeezes out the sweat <laughs> oh yeah from the handkerchief he had and then bruce will well it was really supposed to be ruby so he's like ah corbin corbin i don't have fire. i told you that's smoking. a good ruby <laughs> exactly been practicing <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's my Chris Tucker impersonation. <laughs> so, um, yeah, luckily Bruce Willis has one match left. It was always like a, it's the it's the edge of the seat. <laughs> they must they they kind of timed it kind of nicely with that match because he lights the match and right before it goes down, it, it almost goes out a little bit, and all three of them are like, oh. And then right, it, they're it's like, just, don't breathe, don't breathe, don't breathe. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that match actually did – that match had a glowing, glowing moment in the, in, the, uh, in the camera. But then next thing you know, they got all the stones lit up, and then nothing's happening because Lilu is dead or something like that, almost dying, basically on death's doornail. And from there – this is this is the part that ruined it for me because I mean at the end of the day these two as in Corbin and Lilu have known each other for like two days tops and so what does Corbin do in order to make sure that the world is safe he confesses his love to her and kisses her in the middle of the four stones and then in her response she like (laughs) she now possesses the power of the stones and then fires off this huge blast of divining light towards the evil that was close by and ba- destroys it by basically oh. it looks like a second moon for the most part it just turns to stone yeah i want to talk about that too but i will say first um yes no the the power of love is kind of an <laughs> eye roll but i will say that lilu i think that she one thing that we hadn't touched on was that she had kind of given up on humanity because like during this movie, she's been like quickly learning uh, all the things about humanity through Vito's computer. I mean, basically it just flashes every word that, you know, starts with a letter and she's now on letter W or something. And then Mm -hmm. she looks up war 
and it gives her, you know, a, you know, instantaneous glimpse of all of war and humanity or something like that. And so right. she's just really like, you know, what's the point? Like, you know, everybody just, you know, hates each other and kills each other anyways. Is this even worth saving? And then that's where, you know, the Bruce Willis is like, well, there's a lot of things in life worth saving. Yeah. It's not we just have love. <laughs> yeah. Love, love, love. She's like, yeah, that's one thing. That's one thing. I can't believe she went through. Okay, she's at W, right? Right. So she was on the 23rd level letter, 23rd letter of the alphabet. Are you telling me there was nothing in the first 22 letters of the alphabet? <laughs> like she went through the entire dictionary and looked up every other word with the starting from A to V. Yeah. And you're telling me she couldn't find anything better than the word war like war is the word like that like oh man that's my lost humanity there was no she would have had to have looked at the word like holocaust and been like that's not that bad (laughs) (laughs) something like really she could have gone through like sex when she got to the s's and been like oh well this is worth it you know like this this is like oh i see what you're saying i thought you were saying like is there nothing that made her like doubt humanity before w plenty of things you know (laughs) there was plenty of things to bring her back from the brink between a and v like ice cream that could have been just like well ice cream's really nice ice cream's pretty great (laughs) (laughs) war's war's really bad but tell me ice cream's around then i think i'll be okay (laughs) yeah I, whatever <laughs> yeah it was, it was super whatever and even more whatever is that at the end uh lilu and corbin are like recovering from their injuries in one of those recovery tanks and stuff like that and the president wants to congratulate them on their heroes of humanity and what are they doing in the recovery chamber but they're having sex <laughs> <laughs> So it was a very like James Bond ending for not a James Bond movie by any means. And uh, it had the same type of love interest that we saw from that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that we did, The Running Man, where it was like, where it was just like, there had no real love interest in this at all. But I guess if you want to, if you guys want to put it that way, then why not? Right. Did there need to be a love interest subplot? Probably not. Other than just being like, hey, Bruce Willis likes women. You know, like, <laughs> but um, I, are you ready for my questions? I have a lot of questions. Oh, then b- by, all means, by, by all means, ask away. Okay. So the most recent one that we just talked about with, you're right. Once the planet stops, for, like a beam of light shoots up through um, Lilu's chest. And the evil planet-sized orb just stops immediately in its tracks. And it's all, it looks like a moon, and it's right next to our current moon. Did the Earth just gain a second moon? Is that what we're to expect? <laughs> was the first moon also an orb that was stopped 5,000 years ago? Oh, oh, that's a great question. And if I might add a sub question, what is the second moon going to do with the tides and women during their period months? You know, yeah, and werewolves and werewolves. I mean, are that now are werewolves doubling in power right now? Because that's <laughs> that's crazy talk. They're already powerful <laughs> enough. Maybe they cancel each other out. Well, we would know if we would watch uh, Underworld, like we talked about earlier, (laughs) (laughs) which is not Mila Jovovich. And then my second big question is, 
So I kind of expected at the end, and I had seen this movie before, but I didn't remember all the beats. I expected at the end for once the light comes up from Mila Jovovich, for her to maybe like disintegrate or like, you know, be turned she was back to into die. a like, that's sarcophagus. Exactly... Mm-hmm. She was supposed to die? Yeah. The, um, when Bruce Willis was over the opera singer Diva and she was telling them like what's going to happen basically – she, she she was like then Lilu will die she will die that's what she says right so that was like she was supposed to die in the act of saving humanity that was like her she, that was her as the fifth element what she was supposed to do but of course love prevailed question mark so she is just going to be an immortal being from here on out <laughs> that's also true so dating she's, Bruce Willis Exactly. <laughs> yeah, how long is that going to last? Another 70 years before he dies? And then what's she supposed to do? Right. Because I mean, she's uh, like, it, that tells me however many times that this has happened beforehand. That I mean, she's just been in a sarcophagus. But this time she's going to be out and about for 5,000 years. <sighs> Man. I know these aren't questions that need answers, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very ambiguous questions. Uh, one thing I did notice, and I'm wondering what kind of how it played on whether or not it added money to the budget, or maybe it was just like in order to the product placement of McDonald's. Oh my in god, the movie. yeah, it was very uh, and a couple of different shots of McDonald's. Exactly. There was, yeah, it was, I think, three altogether from when, like, they're ordering McDonald's and then they run into a McDonald's, like, delivery truck or something like that. I'm questioning whether or not the purpose of that was to be as a product placement to make sure that they got more funding from McDonald's to shoot the film or whether or not, like, <laughs> it's Luke Besson's favorite fast food chain. I don't, I don't know. But uh, it was out of all the things that were shot in the future to be futuresque and, and everything like that, nothing had a real say or in terms of like a product. I'm, I'm using the word product placement again, other than just McDonald's. Maybe it's just like a um, demolition man type thing. If you've ever seen that movie where there is <laughs> there were the fast food wars in that uh, movie, and so in the future, only the only uh, restaurant that exists is Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> that is a <laughs> it's a really funny um, like movie concept. That's a Sylvester Stallone movie, Demolition Man. <laughs> but the the only restaurant that exists is Taco Bell because of the fast food wars, and then also whenever they go to the bathroom. There's just uh, three seashells that they use instead of like toilet paper or uh, a bidet or anything like that. And so when Sylvester Stallone is like, you know, a man out of time in the future, um, he goes into the bathroom and there's just three seashells in there. And he, he comes out and they're like, ah, he doesn't know how to use the shells. <laughs> 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 Matt, I think we have to have a conversation about movies you're watching with big buff men like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> That's just a lot. It's a lot. Apparently, it's, a lot. it's, it's the only movies I watch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, we'll uh, we'll get there. We'll we'll do the entire catalog of uh, Stallone and Schwarzenegger and maybe Bruce Willis if we have time. 
if we have time, if we have enough time. It's a long uh, life. Any, did you feel that there were any underlying themes here uh, in terms of like anything that kind of was trying to say something other than what it was already saying? Um, I guess maybe with like the Ruby Road thing, it was kind of like, hmm, what's the word for it? fame seeking seeking i don't you know like it, it was kind of like you know like the the personality that you get on some uh like djs and like you know radio personalities but like cranked up to like twenty thousand. um and i guess maybe luke Besson was trying to kind of poke fun at that uh i guess you could also say that um zorg the main bad guy, you know, he was a weapons manufacturer and, you know, I'm sure Luke Besson was maybe trying to uh, cast like a bad light on that. Mm-hmm. How about you? What did, did you pull anything out of it? Uh, no, I don't think I really did. I mean, at the end of the day, I've, I liked how the savior of humanity was a female role. So maybe yeah. some, maybe some female power in terms of that, because especially since, for the beginning of the fe- the movie, everyone thought that the savior was supposed to be a male. So the fact that it, they came as a female and stuff like that br- surprised the priest and like Bruce Bruce Willis and everyone too and stuff like that. And then um, I don't know the the power of you know I, I, I you're right to bring up the fact earlier that. Lee Luke gave up kind of on humanity based off of what humanity's like past actions. So I like how you brought that thought into that. I don't think that Bruce Willis came up with the best explanation, like during his, like, you know, there's love, like, you know, like there's things that are like worth saving, worth living for and whatnot and stuff like that. But I do like to think that that is a theme that should be played on a little bit that, you know, uh, humanity's worth saving just for the sake of learning from past mistakes to grow and to like change for the better that's always a nice theme to throw in there or at least try and take out of but at the end of the day maybe that wasn't i don't think it was painted super uh you know it wasn't clarified super well in the movie no. that wasn't like something that, <laughs> it wasn't like a, like a it wasn't a blinking light that everyone was like oh yeah i can totally take this away from there but i think if you kind of delve deep you can kind of get a little bit of that, but other than that, it was very that, tacked on there right at the end. <laughs> yeah, seriously, we're talking the last ten minutes of the movie, so just be like, "Hey, life's worth living," and that's basically it. Uh, but other than that, man, I just thought this was an enjoyable film. I mean, you're right; we already talked about it a little bit. It's a sci-fi film. Sometimes sci-fi goes through a serious role. I don't think this was serious role by any means. I definitely think it was supposed to be like an easy, digestible movie to take. It definitely wasn't as uh emotional or thrill seeking as like Leon the professional or, yeah. or maybe another one of Lupusan's types of films. But um it definitely was uh really well done in terms of the costume design, the special effects, getting good actors to play the roles that they did. Um but at the end of the day, you know, in terms of pulling anything specific away from the film. And also not 
appreciating the ending. I think the <laughs> ending was a little flat. Um, it was it was a relatively good film. It's a yeah, it's a fun ride. ride. It's like it's a, a uh, it's like a theme park ride. You know, you're just going because it's it, it's entertaining. You're not gonna like pull anything out of it that's gonna you know keep you. <laughs> you're not walking out of the movie theater questioning the logic of the universe by any. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some, uh, I guess, behind the scenes stuff here that I'm reading right now. I was just going, you know, further down the. Oh yeah, just not IMDb listening to me page. as I talk. I get, yeah, I get it. And, you know, yeah, I I'm tune you out a lot. It's. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, we we talked about beforehand how um, Luke Besson and Mila Jovovich kind of created the fictional language that she speaks sure they say here it was about 400 words that they created which that's pretty crazy but um i guess during the filming that luke Besson was married to the actress who played the role of diva um it says here uh my win libesco and uh, that he left her during filming for Mila Jovovich. And I guess they got married and then divorced. It uh, looks like two years later in 1999. I know she's now married to Paul W. S. Anderson. He's a sly fox, that guy. I'm I know, done. man. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got a way with the ladies in a creepy way and also a apparently a very alluring way as well. I guess so. Maybe another reason to not like Luke Besson. <laughs> is it because he's French? Because he's French? Is there anything? <laughs> maybe, maybe the allure. He smokes a cigarette. Omelette du fromage. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that Dexter's Lab? Yeah, that episode? Dexter's Lab episode. That's hilarious. Oh, <laughs> say it again, Dexter. Say it again. Omelette du fromage. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, and now I think uh, Mila Jovovich probably with a better person with Paul W. S. Anderson. That's the guy who directs all of the Resident Evil movies. So, you know, she's going to have work for the rest of her life. <laughs> she apparently has a thing for the director type. So yeah. good on her, I guess. Good on her. But, all right. Um, well, good movie. Good pick. Um, and we don't know which one we're going to do next, but we will be back with another episode. Uh, thank you so much, listener, for uh, listening to this podcast. I know we were on a little bit of a hiatus there between our last episode and this one. Speaking of 5,000 years between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're going to do a little bit better. We're doing a little bit better. We're in the works with some things. We got we had some things come up in our lives, but you know, we're we're here for you people. And but at the same time, I'm also just here for Matt. I, I could care less about you guys. Oh, I'm here for you too, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, stay tuned. We'll have another episode coming on. It's my turn to choose. So if you guys have been liking the ones that I've been picking, stay tuned because I picked the good ones. Matt likes the my, Matt likes the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and the, the Bruce Willis ones. So. I'll throw something different in the mix. We also appreciate comments and any sort of suggestions for films because we're always looking to expand our repertoire and we want to also hear from you guys. So, yeah, absolutely. Give us the next uh, Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> movie to watch. <laughs> I mean, I mean, any other movie. I mean, our I'm social sure. medias. Uh, we're on Instagram <laughs> at that movie was and at Twitter at underscore that movie was. 
So yeah, hit us up there. If you like what you've heard, also share our podcast with any of your friends who also like movies. Um, let's spend our episode on the fifth element. And so, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Yep. We'll catch you all, all guys next time. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye.